the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and today we have a full house of people. We have my co-host, Will Mavity. We did what we had to do. We buried him right. <laughs> Why are you quoting The Revenant? I don't know, man. I just woke up with Tom Hardy's Jeff Bridges voice in my head this morning, and it's all I can think about. Yeah, You know what the new version of that is? It's, it's Bradley Cooper in the A Star is Born trailer saying... I just want to take another look at you. <laughs> you enjoy your revenge, Gaga. Ain't nothing going to bring your Oscar back. <laughs> and as you can hear laughing in the background, that is Michael Schwartz. I love uh, Will's Sam Smith impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us is Josh Parm. Uh, hello, hello. All right, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Doing well, you know. Great. Holiday week coming up, so you know, no one really knows what to make of this week. So, I guess we're just gonna sit around and talk about what happened last week. Yeah, also, too, it is July 1st as of this recording today, which means we are officially done with the first half of 2018, and now we are entering into the most wonderful time of the year. Award season is right around the corner as we get closer to September. So, big, big talking point for today's episode is going to be our top five films of 2018 so far. And listen, I'm ready to jump into it if you guys want to jump into it. Do you guys want to just get those out of the way? Let's do it. Fantastic. So why don't we do this? Let's start off actually with Mr. Josh Parham. Josh Parham, what is your number five film of 2018 so far? Uh, My number five film is Paddington 2. Uh, I just, yeah, I just really adored this movie. And to be honest, I liked the first Paddington, but I didn't really find myself in love with it. But the second one, I just thought was leaps and bounds better. It's just so charming and delightful. The performances are great. Hugh Grant is amazing in it. Uh, The praises are all deserved. Oh, yeah. It is just such a joyful movie that I just loved from top to bottom. It's so good. Awesome. What about you, Michael? So my number five is a movie I had no intention of seeing when the trailer first played last December, and that is Game Night. Yeah, what a mm. surprise this year. Yeah, Game Night I thought was an incredibly smart and twisty studio comedy, legitimately funny and for all the right reasons, and the cast was just absolutely fantastic. Great ensemble, and you have Jesse Plemons in the supporting role, who just steals all of his scenes. When, when does Jesse Plemons not steal all his scenes, though? <laughs> I am going to be including a couple Sundance movies in here just because. Oh, you cheater. You cheater. Well, otherwise, my lineup's really good, but not yet. So, uh, number five for me is Black Panther because we've discussed many times how not only is that a progressive film, but it's also just 
from a simple storytelling standpoint, it's very compelling. It is the classic revenge and coming of age Lion King-esque story told right. It's just a beautiful look at a wide array of different cultures. The costumes are stunning. The makeup is great. The music is fantastic. It's like your perfect blockbuster film. So that's my number five for the time being. Well, if you're going to include Sundance titles on your list, then I'm going to do it. But I had no intention of doing that when we first started. Um, But you talk about a true blockbuster film. My number five is Avengers Infinity War. And it's because to me, I think it's the you know it's obviously it's the culmination of the entire MCU and what they've been building up to even though it is a part 1 of a two part story which will conclude next year but it's also more than just that I think I I definitely can feel this epic scope uh to the film and the unexpected uh layer of character depth that Josh Brolin brings to Thanos really really adds a lot to this movie the spectacle of it all it's very crowd pleasing yeah I mean like I, sometimes I have superhero biasness and I like don't include them in my rankings. Other times, uh, you know, there comes along one that just hit all the right notes for me. And this was one of those films where I thought that it honestly like, listen, I get it with the ending. I know it's predictable and I know that it's not maybe as daring, quote unquote, as many think. But I, I like to, you know, liken it to The Empire Strikes Back. And that it ends on a note where, especially as a kid, if you're watching this, this is like the darkest thing you've ever seen probably (laughs) at at a certain age in your life. And I do have to commend uh, Disney and Marvel uh, for that vision. So, yeah, Avengers Infinity War is my number five. Josh Parham, number four. My number four is Blockers. And this is a a movie that I cannot – really describe just how terrible the marketing was for this film. It looked like this movie was going to be so, so bad. But actually watching it, it is not only just exceptionally funny, but it also has this really great progressive message about parenting and that relationship and how it evolves and what you, those insecurities that parents feel with their children, whether justified or not. And you know, it does have those crass moments that you would expect in kind of a modern comedy, but it also just has so much more to it as well. It is funny and endearing and smart and just all around a great, great time of a watch. Very, very cool. Awesome. What about you, Schwartz? Number four. Yeah, I couldn't agree more about Blockers. That was a great surprise along with Game Night, but it is not in my five. Highly recommended, though. My number four is RBG. Ah, yes. Which has been making bank at the box office lately uh, and I, I understand why people want to see movies about real life icons people they can look up to for inspiration and you know in a time when the balance of the supreme court seems in jeopardy as determined by the news this past week we need rbg more than ever and it's great to see her live her life day to day but also hear her story about how she made it to the supreme court you know we see this uh, video or a few clips throughout the movie of her doing push-ups and planks at the gym and she's 85 years old. And that's just one of the great scenes you'll see this year, just RBG pushing through all the hardships to make it work. And I love that. Yeah, and I I also have to echo your statement as well about needing uh, movies about figures like that, especially during this time right now. It's a great call out there. Will? 
I just want to say, as we're doing this, I'm looking at my top 10 list, and I had felt like this was a really bleak year for film so far, but I'm actually pretty content with my top 10 already with some great docs like the above-mentioned RBG and um, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Those, however, are not my number four film. My number four is Death of Stalin. Oh, you! I didn't know you caught. I didn't know you uh, got around to this. Yeah, I watched it on the plane on the way back from the East Coast. So, Death of Stalin is just a wild ride. I was surprised how dark it is because I was expecting just the zany comedy, and that balance really worked. It, A, is very funny, but honestly, it also kind of works as a thriller. It's very fast-paced, and it's an interesting look. I mean, I knew enough about the history of the aftermath of Stalin to know who came out on top, ultimately. So that element of surprise wasn't there for me. But at the same time, I just found it to be such a compelling film, as was um, Steve Buscemi, I thought, gave an excellent performance going from just a buffoon to someone who's actually a little bit scary by the end. And uh, my mind's going blank. Who played Beria, the fat guy? Oh, uh, Simon something. Yes, I thought Simon Russell Beale was really good. Um, So this works well, both as just a absurdist comedy and as a history lesson and as a thriller. You know, it's, it's a very enjoyable film. It's unfortunately tainted. A little bit by Jeffrey Tambor's large presence in it, but, but he's still uh, great in it. Yeah, and 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 the film as a whole is just very enjoyable. So if you haven't checked it out, I, I absolutely recommend doing so. Okay, uh, my number four is Ari Aster's critically acclaimed, audience panned horror film *Hereditary*. Um, I think that it is for me. Um, the most disturbing, creepiest movie I've seen in years. Uh, more than It Comes at Night and The Witch, the other A24 uh, mismarketed horror films that A24 has put out there. And I, I love the film all the more because of the uh, backlash from a lot of uh, mainstream audience members um, that were that was given to it, essentially. It's made me uh, a little bit more protective of it and of its Oscar chances as well, uh, both for Alex Wolf and for Tony Collette, who's never been better than I think she is here and I think she wholeheartedly deserves uh, not only an Oscar nomination but right now if we were casting balance she would be my win so I really hope that that performance can make it all the way till the end of year and I hope that the film can also pop up in a few unexpected categories as well it depends on how everything else shakes up but I definitely think that the craftsmanship and uh, the level of emotion that is contained within Hereditary provides um, a roller coaster experience that will take you to some really unexpected highs, some really unexpected lows. And it, it was just a fully, fully, fully complete cinematic experience for me while watching it. I can't wait to watch it again. All right. No crossover so far, or is there? Let's head over now to number three, Josh Parham. Uh, well, my number three movie is Isle of Dogs. And I am not a big Wes Anderson fan, to be completely honest. I like some of his movies, but most of the time I find myself being a little distant with them. But I was just really won over by by this film. I think that there is an emotional core to this movie that just is really effective. The animation is beautiful. The entire design of the film is uh, you know immaculate, just like every Anderson movie is. 
But this one really worked on me a lot more than I have really, uh, really have kind of responded to with his other movies. And I just overall, I just really, really enjoyed this film. I understand the complaints of it, and I can't really say that that isn't valid. But just for me personally, this was a movie that from the moment I saw it, I was just completely sold. And I just really, really do love the film. All right. All right. Michael Schwartz, number three. Well, it's time for our first crossover here. All right. My number three is Paddington 2. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, to echo everything Josh said before, this film is an absolute delight. You know, I could watch it again and again. You have Hugh Grant, who is absolutely worthy of a Best Supporting Actor nomination at the Oscars. He got one at BAFTA last year. And, you know, any movie that ends with him doing a tap dance to his Sondheim song is automatically one of my favorites. So, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything Josh said. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. Number three, William. So this is my lone Sundance film I'm going to include in here just because. Just had to include it. Well, I love <laughs> it, and it's also coming out very soon, so I don't feel guilty about it. Oh, uh, there might be crossover here. Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. I adore this film. As someone who, when in I was in seventh and eighth grade, was incredibly awkward and incredibly chubby, I completely related to this film. And... Even though I wasn't in eighth grade in a world that was full of Instagram and Snapchat, I mean, people were just getting their Facebooks when I was in eighth grade. I could still imagine how it would have been like with all that tech present. I thought the lead performance by Elsie Fisher was just fantastic. It seemed like you ripped her right out of an awkward eighth grade experience. The fact that Bo Burnham has never directed a film before was impressive because it's technically well put together. The score is great. It's just, it's a punch in the gut. You really relate to it. And honestly, there's a scene in the film that makes me more scared and anxious than almost any film has this year, including Hereditary. So yeah. <laughs> I, I I love Eighth Grade. It's, it's probably my favorite film I saw at Sundance. It looks great. I keep seeing the trailers at the theater lately, and it'll be out here in a few weeks, so I really can't wait to catch up with it. Uh, For my number three, I'm going to expand on everything that Will just said, because my number three is also Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. I completely, 100% agree with everything that Will said. It's, It's everything he said, and it's also more. I also think that it's going to probably be the ladybird of this year. Now, I, that doesn't mean I don't. I think that Bo Burnham is going to get like a Best Director nomination like Greta Gerwig did, but I do see a path where this film gets screenplay, actress for Elsie Fisher. She she really is that good in this musical score, maybe Best Picture. But I'll tell you this: everyone who sees this movie loves it, and it is that kind of film like Lady Bird, where there's such a personal connection that people have with um, the character, the mood, and the experience that Bo Burnham puts up on the screen that you do feel, like I was saying before, how uh, you can feel overly protective of movies and you want to really defend it and champion it as much as you can. Um, we already kind of experienced a bit of that coming out of Sundance when some people were walking out of the theater just elated and overjoyed. So I think I think eighth grade is going to have some staying power this year. I, I I can't see a world where it drops out of my uh, top ten by the end of the year. All right, number two, Josh Parm. Mm. 
Well, first of all, I just really can't wait to see eighth grade. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, number two on my list is Lean on Pete. And this is a movie that just really came and went. Like, hardly anybody saw it. Hardly anybody talked yeah. about it when it came out. I saw it. Yeah. Well, you were one of the few, it, it sort of seems like. Um, I'm a big Andrew Hay fan. Uh, 45 Years was really good, but Weekend is, like, one of my favorite films of all time. And I really just love how his style is so minimal, but also just really just kind of drops you in the lives of these characters that he's focusing on. And it feels so lived in and authentic and real. And you get that with this movie, too. It's just this, this quiet, serene setting that just leaves you with these characters that are so fascinating and interesting to watch. Uh, Charlie Plummer is the lead character and he, it's like basically his debut. I, I know technically he was in all the money in the world, but this is really like his debut starring role. And he's great in the film. Steve Buscemi's in it too, with a really fantastic supporting turn. And yeah, it's a movie that not a lot of people are talking about, but I just found it to be very, very sweet and emotional and another great, uh, piece of filmmaking from Andrew Hay. All right. Number two, Michael. My number two is another sequel, and that is Incredibles 2, which, I mean, I guess almost everyone has seen it at this point. It's made well over $400 million at the domestic box office. But all of that aside, it is just a genuinely great movie, I think. I'm not even a fan of the superhero genre, but what makes this work is that it puts the people above the action. You really feel for this family. It's the Parr family who we've waited 14 years to see again. I love spending time with them for two hours. I think the action is better than anything I've seen in a Marvel movie. And the villain is great. There are a lot of nice twists. And there's a great message to it. Very socially relevant, actually. So I love The Incredibles, too. I've seen it twice. And I could see myself seeing this one again in years to come. Very cool. Will? Number two, I just caught in time for this last night, is American Animals. Yeah, you liked it. All right. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it's... It's definitely very white, broy, but it's. I have to admit, I'm a sucker for movies that are that crisply well edited. Like, good editing is a way to my heart, and this is stellar editing. And then also the meta nature of it. Mike, have you seen it yet? I haven't. I didn't really want to see it, though. Should well, I go check it, it out? It, it incorporates, it's, it incorporates somewhat like I, Tanya but to another level, all kinds of documentary aspects. So the real life thieves and people impacted are constantly interviewed throughout the movie and sometimes make appearances. I mean, it's twisty. It's not a Schwartz film, I don't think, but you might like the yeah, documentary aspect. I mean, I didn't aspects. like Itania and the, his other film, The Imposter. I forget the director's name. Bart but, uh, uh, yeah, Bart Layton. Okay, I didn't like The Imposter either. So, I mean, this just... The whole idea seemed interesting, but not anything I necessarily wanted to rush out to see. Yeah, if you didn't like The Imposter, um, I can't – actually, yeah, Will, I can't see how Michael would like this movie. But it's – you know, it, it, I was on the edge of my seat even yeah, knowing – It's tense. Yeah, <laughs> probably how things are in. I also – this is another one I really like the score on. You know, I've been assembling my uh, 2018 playlist, and I'll be adding some of that there. Uh, I thought Evan Peters killed it. I thought really the whole cast was pretty good. Most of them are British. <laughs> and is Anne Dow just in everything now? Yeah, basically, especially out of Sundance. I think she had like six movies there. That's, so That's so crazy. Anne Dowd was in Philadelphia with Tom Hanks back in 93. 
So yeah, I mean she she pops up everywhere pretty much. Um, speaking of somebody who's like popping up though, I mean like Barry Keoghan who had a breakout year last year with um, T- Dunkirk and The Killing of a Sacred Deer continues to prove how versatile of an actor he is. He plays the uh, you know like the, the straight everyman in this movie that's caught up in this situation well over his head. And I do find it very interesting that in the last year he's given us three wildly different performances. Um, now, like I, I said it last year, and I'm going to continue to keep saying it. This kid, this kid is going places. Oh, and other thing I, I have to say for a film that's completely based on true facts, to still be able to throw in like a twist in there, which the film does. I won't say any more. I was like, ah, you know. So it's <laughs> a Bart Layton is proving very good at doing that because he also did that with The Imposter a couple years ago. Yeah, but um, yeah, this is. While there are themes here, they're very Fight Club-esque, so I won't say for thematic purposes that's what makes a film shine, but like in the same way that people love The Martian because it's just a classic cinema-going, like, edge-of-receipt fun experience, that's what this is. This is like your classically, incredibly well-executed, I'm nervous, I'm compelled thriller you know it's 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 why you go to the movies so i i I think if anything i was just thinking about what you were saying there will and i think the reason why maybe this film might work for michael i don't know uh they, they get inspiration to do this heist from a lot of classic heist movies and the movie does have a lot of fun with um incorporating uh lots of inspiration from those movies throughout the screenplay and it's like a lot of wink, wink and nudge, nudges and odes to those uh, films of the past that I, I found that aspect of it to be a lot of fun, too, because it also highlights how ridiculous it is that these 22, 21 year olds are just so weighing over their heads. It'd be like if you and Will tried to rob a bank like it, it just it just sounds so implausible and so silly and stupid. But like these kids are committed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's so crazy anyway. Uh, I'm glad that you. I'm glad you finally caught up with that one, Will. I knew that I, I had a feeling that, that was going to work for you. All right, number two for me, uh, Alex Garland's Annihilation. I mean, this movie blew me away when I saw it. I, I, I saw I saw it uh, a second time, a uh, third time actually. Yeah, I've seen it three times, um, and each time I see it, I feel like I pick up something new uh, thematically about what it's trying to say. Um, there's a lot of different interpretations for uh, what the message of the movie is. And I think that that is the hallmark of a great film that you can revisit it maybe over a period of time and, you know, get a brand new experience out of it. It's also one of the most uh, gorgeously shot movies I've seen this year. Um, That rainbow filter effect. I've never seen that before, like in any movie ever, you know, with the lens flares and so on and so forth. I mean, I was really, really transported with this film and really, really sucked into its story and what it was ultimately trying to say. Um, I can't, I don't know if it's better than Ex Machina. I think personally for me it is, but I do think Ex Machina uh, might, you know, obviously the majority would probably say Ex Machina is a better film. But Alex Garland does not have a sophomore slump in my opinion. Um, I, 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 I continue to love this film and I... Uh, I really, really hope there there was a way, like in the text, it could make its way to you know the Oscars. But I mean, with a February release date and very, very little distribution that it did receive, um, it's very unlikely. But yeah, it's all good. Number ones, Josh Parm. What is your number one film of 2018 so far? Uh, well, my number one film is a movie that was just mentioned, and it is American Animals. Oh wow! Yeah, I did not I- see that coming. 
Yeah, this is a movie I just caught last week, too. Caught it very recently. And, yeah, I echo pretty much everything that Willis said. I think this movie is, you know, from a stylistic perspective, it is flashy and great and so interesting and inventive. It very much blends documentary and narrative uh, filmmaking really effectively. There's this really kind of interesting thing that it does where it plays with perspective and what might be true and what might not be true. And it informs how you take in the narrative and these characters. And yeah, performances are great. The uh, tension that it builds up is fantastic. Um, I, I really walked out this film just like awestruck by how much I ended up loving it. Uh, just top to bottom, it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow. Okay. Alrighty, Michael Schwartz, number one. So my number one is Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Fred Rogers documentary. Of course. Aw, isn't that nice? You know, I can see a world where this actually stays as my number one through the end of the year. Uh, as a longtime devotee of Fred Rogers and his program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, it was pretty much a game that I would love Morgan Neville's documentary about him and his legacy. But what I didn't expect, however, was that this would be the film of the moment. Because in 2018, when it seems like the world is moments away from crumbling apart, and the lasting morals of Fred Rogers are in short supply. This documentary reminds us that they are actually very much here and kindness and good values are very much ingrained in people. We just need to go seek them out. As a matter of fact, I find myself watching clips of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood from time to time just to be soothed by his messages and morals. So this documentary not only reminds us of how necessary he is now, but it covers all the bases of his life. It tells us how he got started in the television industry, how his show came to be so popular. And it's the rare film that makes you strive to be a better person. I can't give any higher praise than that. So this truly is the best film of the year, in my opinion. I cannot wait to see it. Um, I'm, I, I am going to hold off on seeing it until I do my doc binge, which I usually always do as we get closer to Oscars. But I am very, very much looking forward to watching this one. William Avity, number one. This is another one I just caught, first reformed. Wow. Yeah. I think I think I'm a sucker for the even though he's Protestant, not Catholic, the Catholic guilt movie. And at the end of the day, as someone who is, you know, not particularly religious now, but was absolutely raised in a very conservative Christian household, um, that Christian guilt and kind of internal anguish is something I still very much relate to. And the film really does ask interesting questions about what is the role of a, of a pastor in or a priest nowadays? Should you just give comfort or should you get engaged? You know, is it is it your job to try to influence social policy or is it your job to just tell people things are going to be okay even if they're not? Uh, it's, you know, there's definitely shades of unsurprisingly taxi driver in there since it's Paul Schrader. Ethan Hawke is incredible. It's not his best performance, but it's up there. And it's just, it's a very immersive experience. I found myself thinking about it for days now, and I think I will continue to. And I think that that is the best thing I can say about it. You know, not only does it impress you on a first viewing, more importantly, it'll stick around for long after which is more than I can say about other films this year. It's the Christian version of a serious man. Yeah, yeah, honestly, it, it makes a it makes a good double feature with that. It would also make a good triple feature with Calvary and Silence. Just really, you know, like torment yourself. Also too, uh, Taxi Driver obviously. Yeah. 
You know, so I, I I have to say I think this is Schrader's best work, maybe since uh, Affliction. I would probably say. Um, I very much hope and pray, no pun intended, that he can get his first Oscar nomination for original screenplay for this. I I, I feel like if the campaign pushes for it and critics really go to bat for it, I think it could happen. Like I said, it depends on how the rest of the uh, field plays out. And my number one film is a film that um, has not been released yet, but it is a film that I saw at Sundance. And it, it, it really spoke to me on a very, very personal level. It's called Assassination Nation. And it is a, about a small suburb, um, like four teenage girls basically become like um, the focus uh, and, and the blame for the crumbling and unraveling of this town. And the movie really much uh, kind of takes on the mob mentality factor like the lynch mob uh aspect of like social media and how people like an angry group just don't listen to reason and will look for any reason they can to vent their frustration and anger and the movie really does take an absurdist approach with this um it gets incredibly violent and really wacky like in a purge like sort of manner um to me uh, stylistically speaking um, it's like if Quentin Tarantino and Michael Moore made this film together. It's got that much political and social commentary contained within it, but also to uh, the excitement, uh, bloodlust, and style of a Tarantino film. It's directed actually by um, – this is very interesting. Uh, the director is the son of uh, Barry Levinson. This is uh, Sam Levinson, and um, – I mean, he's got such a virtuoso like st- uh, approach to this movie. I mean, there's like a, one shot in the film where it's like an f- extremely long take um, outside of a house, and someone's trying to break in the house, and it's got a lot of tension and suspense while that while somebody tries to hide from the intruder that's breaking in. Um, and the camera just glides on the outside of this house. I mean, like it's it's really wild. I, I, I cannot praise the movie enough, though, for um, especially in this day and age with Twitter being so toxic as it is. Um, and it's something that always is constantly on my mind a lot. Um, the film's themes really did speak to me uh, on a very, very, very personal level. So that's my number one favorite film of the year. And I know that that, you know, might be controversial for others who have seen it. Because believe me when I tell you, there are a lot of people who think this movie is trash. Um, and I can totally understand that. I can totally see why. So take that with a grain of salt. But as is, still my number one. Okay. Let's break it up a little bit here. Let's take a look at the trailer that had everybody talking this week online because it featured everybody's favorite breakout star of 2017, Timothy Chalamet, along with Steve Carell. This film is called Beautiful Boy. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Hey, so how you doing? I'm doing great, you know, just, um, um, just doing what needs to be done. And what does that mean? I'm sorry, Dad. Um, Why don't we just have lunch and talk? We can do that, right? Mm. Please. You think that you have this under control. I understand why I do things. It doesn't make me any different. You're just embarrassed because I was like, you know, I was like this amazing thing, like your special creation or something, and you don't like who I am now. Yeah, who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad. Here, this is who I am. This is not you. This is not you, Nick. What are you doing, huh? You always got to be controlling everything all the time. Let me, let me book your room no, at a hotel for no, a couple of nights. Dad. 
don't want it to go like this. My son has gone missing. Nicholas Sheff, S-H-E-F-F. -F. There's no one by that name, sir. There are moments that I look at him, this kid that I raised, who I thought I knew inside and out, and I wonder who he is. I thought we were close. I thought we were closer than most fathers Wait, and sons. Yeah. Why? I felt better than I ever had, so I just kept on doing it. This I'm isn't us. Fun. This is not who we just are. Kidding. My son is out there somewhere, and I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how to help him. You can't. I don't feel like I have a disease. This isn't like cancer. This is my choice. I put myself here. I failed. I can't do it alone. I need to find a way to fill this black hole in me. I still have a family. I want them to be proud of me. What you have, you're going to find it again. You're going to get it back. Do you know how much I love you? I love you more than everything. 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 So, what do we think, guys? Steve Carell, Timothy Chalamet, Oscars, signed, sealed, and delivered. So beautiful. <laughs> Just look at his hair. <laughs> Everyone's going to need a box of Kleenex for this movie. At the very least, it's going to be a great performance piece. We know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally got Manchester by the Sea, Ordinary People, Terms of Endearment vibes from this. For sure. You know, it, it could be that Oscar film that brings on the tears like we were saying and is really performance and uh screenplay driven maybe not so much like you know technically driven from a filmmaking aspect you know but hey you know a lot of those films their directors did get nominated um some of them popped up in editing you know so think things can happen you know um it depends on how much of a hit it is and how much uh, people really do respond to the film but Man, people really, really responded hard to this one online, especially because those performances just look so affecting. Now, how many of you have seen the director's previous film, The Broken Circle Breakdown? I did. Now, that is a devastating movie. Absolutely. So if he could bring some of that to this story on top of these great performances, this could be something really special. Yeah, it definitely looks like it's going to be a really big showcase for those performances. And, you know, what's funny is watching the trailer, I do kind of get the feeling like it could be one of those movies that gets nominated for Best Picture and then Carell and Chalamet get nominated, the screenplay does, and that might be it. But at the same time, it just really does seem like you're going into this, this movie to really watch those two. And from this trailer especially, it just really looks like it's going to be really powerful and emotional. And, yeah, we're all going to need Kleenex for this one. Does anyone here believe that Timothy Chalamet, after like just the fever pitch uh, of passionate reactions he got last year for Call Me By Your Name, do we believe at all that there is residual love that could push him actually to a win? Forget about a nomination. I'm talking win status here. For yeah, I think the internet's going to try to will that narrative into existence. And uh, the internet's done it before on nominations and wins. It's not always successful, but I think he's going to have the full might of Tumblr and Twitter behind him. So it 
could happen, absolutely, if he goes supporting. It'll be a lot harder if he goes lead, but as from what we've heard, Carell is going to go lead and Chalamet's supporting as of now. So, Which really works out because Carell also has another play in supporting for uh, the Dick Cheney movie. Right. So that could be I have heard right that there. that is not an Oscar performance from test screenings. Um, apparently, he's a loud asshole in that movie, but that's about it. So I doubt unless that movie just goes nuts that he ends up being a threat and supporting actor for that does anyone uh think like because one thing that surprised me about the trailer was i wasn't expecting amy ryan to also look like if the film is like an across the board contender she could slide into supporting actress maybe even yeah it could happen you know if the movie really hits it might be one of those things where you know a rising tide lifts all boats so she could very well get in there depending on on how well the movie lands you know what it's an office reunion amy ryan and steve carell there you go <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i'm very much looking forward to this uh i mean i was looking forward to it beforehand but now it's like whoa um, and also, too, for uh, Next Best Adaptation, uh, one of our podcast exclusives on Patreon, um, this book, uh, The Beautiful Boy, is actually on the uh, docket to get reviewed by uh, Will, uh, you and the, the gang. Is that correct? Yes, sir. We should have one before long, which we're going to be in analyzing both uh, Tweak, Growing Up on Methamphetamine, and um, the actual Beautiful Boy source material. So that should be intense. A couple members of the team have already read um, one or both of the books, so that should be coming later this month. Or I guess is it July yet? Is it July first? It is July first. Yes. Okay, later this month. There you go. Some light beach reading for everyone. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva, and this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together, and then discuss. These movies could be new, or old, or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiae shut up, here. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I wonder shut who up. the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Uh, let's move over now to the polls. So we have a lot of polls because it is the end of the month. And so what I want to start off with is I want to start off with last week's poll. Okay. So last week, uh, it was tied to Sicario, Day of the Soldado. We asked everyone which is their favorite Taylor Sheridan screenplay. The choices were Hell or High Water, Sicario, Sicario, Day of the Soldado, and Wind River. Uh, what does everyone think won this? Hell or High Water. I, yeah, I feel like Hell or High Water probably ran away with it. And yes, it did. With 72 votes, Hell or High Water ran away with this one. Sicario did get a lot of votes. It got 44 votes. Wind River, third place with 25 votes. And Sicario, Day of the Soldado um, a terrible movie and easily his worst screenplay yet walked away with zero votes. Hey, so moving on to the future now for this week, uh, we are looking at Ant-Man and the Wasp. And so we are asking everyone this week, which is their favorite male, female badass on screen duo. So we have a couple of different choices. We've got, you know, black widow and Hawkeye from the Avengers, Bonnie and Clyde from Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Elizabeth and Mikael from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl from The Incredibles, 
uh, Logan and Laura from Logan, Mad Max and Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road, Neo and Trinity from The Matrix. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of different choices here. Um, I, I just wanted to just you know give the floor to you guys. Are there any male female on screen duos who kicked some serious ass in movies you want to give a shout out to? Oh, top well, of my head. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I think the ones that jump into my mind are, you know, uh, Mad Max and uh, Furiosa. That's the one that really kind of jumps to my mind initially. Uh, It's a really great duo. The interplay between them is really great. Individually, they're great on their own. Uh, There was also another uh, duo on that list that probably isn't, like, really badass, but just for some reason, really endears me, and that's Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. Hey. <laughs> I, I just really, I like that movie a lot, and I like those performances, so that just kind of, that's a little bit more of a subjective pick for me, but I would shout that one out. <laughs> if I could cheat a little bit and say Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett, but only from the Broadway show, because Len Carew and Angela Lansbury are better. Cheater. You know, uh, this might be cheating, but because they, they were in two feature films, I think we have to include Mulder and Scully, too. Why is everyone cheating? That's not cheating. There's two that's feature films. That's, that's, right, that's, right. that's a great duo. Mulder and Scully should be on there. I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing. Uh, I, I, I don't know what I would pick. I, maybe Neo and Trinity from The Matrix, maybe. But um, I don't know. I, I, I like, you know what? I'll go classical. I'll just go with Bonnie and Clyde. You know, they rob banks. Actually, for film, you know who I'll say? Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible. There you go. They're, they are a great duo, those two. They are. And great parents. And that's like the whole whole theme of the film. You know, they each want to have their time in the spotlight, but they work better together. <laughs> you know what? I was just thinking you could probably include Marlon and Dory. Oh, you think so? <laughs> I mean, at that point, we might as well include Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep for The Post, right? Okay, I'm going with that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Julie and Julia. Oh, God. Kramer and Kramer. So we did our last Best Picture review for Lawrence of Arabia recently. Uh, Josh Parham and I had a really, really fantastic time talking about that movie and revisiting it. And now we are actually looking forward to uh, the future for Last Best Picture. So... All throughout the month of June, we had a poll up for what was going to be the next review that we would do there. The choices were Casablanca, Foreign Correspondent, In the Bedroom, The King's Speech, The Lost Weekend, Love Affair, Schindler's List, The Ten Commandments, Terms of Endearment, and War Horse. What does everyone think won this poll? Man, that's a really good lineup of movies. I, I really don't know. Uh, there's a part of me that one says Schindler's List for some reason, but I, I really don't know. I think any of these movies could really show a, a strong uh, show of support, really. You know, it's like you're trying to get me on this review episode. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but just about any of these winners. Uh, I'm going to say either Schindler or Terms of Endearment. Okay. There it is. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, I assume that's our winner. Mr. Itzhak Perlman. All right. I will tell you what the top five are in no, sp- no, in no particular order. You ready? Mm. The top five are Casablanca, The King's Speech, 
Schindler's List in the bedroom. And I think that's five. One, two, three, four. Oh, and this is five. Terms of Endearment. Wait, so Schindler's List wasn't the winner? It's one of those five? No, 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 no. No particular order. But it's those five. It's Casablanca, In the Bedroom, The King's Speech, Schindler's List, Terms of Endearment. So it's one of those five. And we're all we're all going with Schindler's List? Yeah, I think that's where we're all leaning right now. Okay. Well, in fifth place, with 38 votes, Terms of Endearment. Sorry, Mike. Another time. In fourth place, with 41 votes, In the Bedroom. In third place, with 45 votes, The King's Speech. And the top two vote-getters with 83 and 78 votes. Five votes within each other. Number two is Schindler's List. No! You must remember this. A kiss is just yeah, a kiss. No! <laughs> and our number one winner, which will be our next review for Last Best Picture, is the classic film Casablanca. Yeah, oh, that is that's... wonderful. Yeah. I'm actually uh, you know, happier to talk about that one as much of a masterpiece as Schindler's List is. Casablanca is by far the happier film. Yeah, yeah it's not quite as that's punishing as Schindler's List is. It's also a lot shorter, too. Yeah, yeah. a lean 100 that. minutes. So that will be a review which will go up on our uh, Patreon for the month of July. I very much look forward to revisiting Casablanca. And hopefully we have some of you guys on for that. So now... We have a new set of uh, 10 uh, nominees for Last Best Picture for the month of July. I'm going to read those off to you guys in alphabetical order. The choices are Four Darters, Giant, The Guns of Navarone, Lenny, The More the Merrier, Midnight Cowboy, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, The Silence of the Lambs, the Sundowners, and Whiplash. Hmm. Pretty interesting selection there. I would really advocate for either um, Giant or Midnight Cowboy. Those are two movies that I just absolutely love. Uh, I would uh, throw my votes either behind one of those movies. Uh, confession, I have never seen Giant. Same. So good. It is so good. It's long. It's a very long movie, but it is really, really, really good. I actually have it unopened right here on my desk actually um on blu-ray um because i'm a completionist and i like to have a expansive library of movies yeah so if 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 it does win i will be prepared to watch it so yeah honestly george stevens winning george stevens winning best director for that probably is my second favorite oscar win of all time wow yeah i love giant i love that movie so much and I just want to ask really quickly, uh, just maybe for those that don't know, is it true that like Giant had a major influence stylistically on There Will Be Blood? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm sure they're both epics about oil. Because I've heard those comparisons before, and I just don't know the context, so I figured I'd ask. Isn't James Dean like a villain in that? It's been yeah. years since I've seen Giant. Yeah, he's a little antagonistic, but I mean, it's still a really good James Dean performance too. This is last, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, and now moving on now to the final poll uh, for this month. Uh, we asked everyone which film should we, re- we review for a throwback review for the podcast 
in July of 2018. Um, the movie that it was supposed to be tied to is Mission Impossible Fallout. And as a result now, we had uh, six, no, five Tom Cruise movies. We had Collateral, Edge of Tomorrow, Jack Reacher, Minority Report, and the original Mission Impossible. So, when Fallout releases in theaters, one of these films will get a throwback review from us on the podcast. What does everyone think it's going to be? Uh, Probably the first Mission Impossible. You don't sound too enthusiastic. I wish it were Edge of Tomorrow, really underrated film. Yeah, that would be a better movie. (laughs) Well, Jack Reacher ended up in last place with seven votes. Uh, In fourth place was the original Mission Impossible with 52 votes. In third place was Minority Report with 54 votes. In second place was Collateral with 55 votes. And with an astonishing 101 votes, wow. Edge of Tomorrow will be our throwback review. Hey! The community came out for Edge of Tomorrow. I'm so proud. I haven't seen this since uh, it played in theaters. Same. No, actually, I saw it in DVD, too. But, you know, if you if you ever heard me use the term, holy fuck, it's because of that film. I just think Tom Cruise's line delivery of, oh, holy fuck, is so funny. Had a lasting <laughs> influence on me. <laughs> okay well that pretty much does it there for oh wait 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 oh we have to look forward to the future then uh for um a film review for august of 2018 uh so we actually don't know which movie which theatrical release it's going to be tied to but for the first two weeks of this month uh we're gonna have everyone vote on that so the films that i have chosen which a throwback review will be tied to in august are christopher robin the happy time murders Crazy Rich Asians, Mile 22, or Black Klansmen. So one of those five films will be the film, which uh, Throwback Review will be tied to in August. And that'll be up for voting for two weeks. And in the last two weeks of the month, we will put up a set of films tied to the winner of this. I would like Crazy Rich Asians to win so we could do My Big Fat Greek Wedding. You're right. Wouldn't that be a great excuse to go back and watch that? Oh my gosh. I would love that. Alrighty. I do want to say for the record that we are on borrowed time and I did get some fan questions in and I just want to say uh, that I apologize to anyone that uh, we can't fit those in for this episode, but I promise you I'll carry those over to next week and we will get to those on the next episode. There's one piece of news this week I do want to close out on that was very, very important. Uh, Will Mavity, I want you to take front and center for this one. Uh, Tell us what was going on with the Academy Motion Picture Arts and Sciences this week. We had a record-breaking almost one thousand new members invited to join the academy this year which is pretty wild you know this is part of the academy's ever expanding mission to uh, increase diversity within the voting body and it is a huge array of people and there's you know there, there are names on here that range in my reaction from oh my god how were they not already a member to oh is that 
person going to be voting now. But in general, I think the more the merrier. I love some of the names on here. For starters, we have anyone who was nominated for an Oscar last year. So Timothy Chalamet and Daniel Kaluuya are now voting members. Um, but in addition, we have Dustin O'Halloran, who apparently was not invited to join uh, last year, even though he was nominated for Lion. And then we have random people. Um, for starters, we have, okay, Abigail Breslin, Jason Hall, Anthony McCartan, all of who were nominated in the past, um, just joined this year. And then we have J.K. Rowling and the writer of the Twilight series, Melissa Rosenberg, and also Step Step Up joined. So who were some of the weirdest people you saw join this year? I can't believe that Christine Baranski was not a member until now. She is a three-time SAG winner. Two of them were for cast ensemble and film. How is she not a member of the actors branch? Uh, I do not know. And and how about uh, Mark Strong, Miles Teller, Evan Rachel Wood, Diane Kruger? I mean, those I w- they just seem like people who randomly would have gotten in at some point. A lot of a lot of comedians who have had like long careers in the industry: uh, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Silverman, Kumail and Emily. Yep. Uh, A. Wallace yeah, wasn't invited. I, she and Abigail Breslin were not invited, I guess, because they were so young. Yeah, They probably you know. weren't old enough to watch the movies back then. Uh, we have uh, Luca Guadagnino. Uh, but, like, you know, some other people from last year. Craig uh, Gillespie directed I, Tanya. I mean, it's a very, 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 very large list. Um, Gemma Arterton. I think the bigger question is more than just who these people are, but what will they do in terms of shaping the future of the Academy? Well, so it's a record number, right? It's 928. Right. I think numbers. last year was something like 700 and some of the year before was 774 last year. year before, you know, it's, it's been steadily going up since 2015. Right. So this is about a thousand new people, assuming nearly all of them accept the invitation that could drastically shift the type of movies we see get nominated, not necessarily win, but I mean, Coming after Moonlight winning Best Picture, which would have been impossible even three to five years ago, we need to think about what this means about the type of movies that could get in. Like, does First Reform stand a chance? Do more genre movies stand a chance? What do we all think about that? Well, so this is going to mean, what, 30% of the Academy almost will have joined since, like, 2015? Right. Yeah. I, I In terms of answering your question there, Michael, I, I, I would say that it makes predicting a lot more challenging, which is a lot more fun to me. Um, so I love it in that regard. Um, I know for years, I think more often than not, the number one thing that we probably do complain about is the biasness um, and love for Academy-friendly movies versus tinier indie films that sometimes don't fit the mold, quote-unquote, of what an Academy movie is. And we tend to write it off as a result. If anything, this will hopefully give us more um, more of an excuse to want to give those other films a second look. I, I hope. I don't know. Because then you have, like last year, you have Darkest Hour pulling in six nominations, including Best Picture. So, you know, I, I, I shrug and I wonder to myself, like, is it, it, I, I could see that there's more of an inclusion to bring in more unorthodox Best Picture uh, nominees 
Um, like Get Out, for example. Years ago, there's no way you could convince me that Get Out would be a Best Picture nominee, let alone probably in, considered within the top five if it was a year of five. We couldn't convince you this time last year ha- at the halfway point. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. In general, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, those preconceived notions are finally going to start to go down, I think. And I think that makes everything just so much more exciting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to me, this is really for the betterment of the Academy. I think adding more voices, you know, it does make our job as predictors harder, but it also makes it more fun. And it also means that what gets labeled as a quote unquote Oscar movie is slowly going away. And movies that basically just have enough passion behind them, that have enough people cheering for them and voting for them is all that's really going to matter. And I think that that is a totally a step in the right direction for the Academy. We, we expanded the category because we wanted films that were popcorn films and documentaries and foreign films to have a better chance at Best Picture nominations. You know, we expanded to 10 nominees and it didn't pan out. We still kept getting the same stuff because the voting body was the same. You know, this is this is undeniably exciting and Ultimately, you know, I, I want to be in a world where Won't You Be My Neighbor or something can be nominated for Best Picture, where where Black Panther could pull it off. You know, I, I think there there has been a lot of these biases will finally be on their way out. It's finally starting to look more and more clear to me um, now that we're halfway through the year. I really do believe Black Panther is really in the driver's seat for a nomination where obviously in February, you know, we were all being a little bit more conservative. Oh, let's see how the rest of the year plays Some out. Some of us were being conservative. Yeah, I'm, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's it's uh, it's still got an uphill battle. It is a superhero film. You know, it we haven't ever had one nominated for best picture, but if there is a time to pull it off, it does seem like now. So, let's let's make sure there aren't seven breakouts in the festival circuit that just blow people away first. Um, But as it stands now, I don't see that many films in contention for Best Picture nominations on paper. So it it's looking better. It definitely is for sure. All right. Before we uh, close out uh, this episode here on the next Best Picture podcast, I do want to also kind of just tie this in really quick and give everyone a little bit of a status update on what's going on with a lot of the applications that we have received. Uh, A few weeks ago, we put a call out for new voices over here at Next Best Picture. Uh, We want to hear some more diversity um, on the show. And as a result of which, I mean, I've received so many, so many, um, you know, emails and messages and Uh, applications from people that are interested in joining us. Um, And I want to just say thank you to everyone that has reached out. Um, I do have a vacation coming up uh, very soon. Uh, Actually, this week, I will have a couple days off from work. And that's when I am going to really buckle down and really, really start the uh, legwork. And uh, some of you may be hearing from me in the next couple of days as a result of that. So stay tuned. Uh, We should hopefully have things finalized, hopefully, by the time we get around to episode 100, which is quickly, quickly approaching for us. Exciting times all around. With that said, does anybody have anything else before we go? Happy 102nd birthday to Olivia de Havilland. Absolutely. Yeah, and she just got a lot of money, didn't she, I assume, from that lawsuit? Yes, that was a crazy thing. Maybe there'll be a miniseries about that. Feud, uh, Olivia <laughs> Ryan, and Catherine. Feud, Ryan Murphy versus <laughs> Olivia Dadland. That would be very meta. Anyone else? 
Yeah, it's been a good week so far. Uh, my birthday's on Tuesday, so I'm looking forward to that. Happy birthday! Oh, thank Happy you. Happy birthday, Josh. That's exciting. Yep, turning 28. Aw, it, it, it doesn't get any better. How does it feel to be in your twilight years? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I, God. I've known that it would, has been downhill for years now, so. <laughs> yeah. And a happy fourth to all of our listeners. Yes. Yes. I want to echo, be safe, everyone. Be safe. Have fun, but be safe. This is America. America! <laughs> Enjoy the fourth, but also do some reflecting on the fourth, because I think we have a lot to reflect on this year. Mm-hmm. That we do. I cannot say it better than that. Let's close out. Josh Parham, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Michael Schwartz. On Twitter at Mike Movie. William Mavity. Find me on Twitter, Maverick Movies. <laughs> that was that was Jeff Bridges. Now, in case we were wondering, <laughs> Mavericks Movies. If you couldn't understand me, uh, okay. Oh, <laughs> All right, I just got it out of my system. You can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 97 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on Castbox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show, ways that we can improve. Your feedback is really, really appreciated. And also, too, head on over to our Patreon page for $1 minimum a month. You get some exclusive podcast content, especially some of the stuff that we talked about here on this episode in particular. So you have a lot of really, really great stuff to look forward to with that. Thank you once again. As always, we shall see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.